0: Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Tuesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We have good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives today. And Jim, we always love to include Louisiana Republican Senator John Kennedy in the Three Martini Lunch if we can. And today, we really didn't have to force the issue in addition to his wonderful homespun humor that we love and will certainly be uh, heard in this clip. He's talking about critical race theory. And of course, uh, the left is on the one hand pretending that it's not an issue, that it's not actually being taught. Uh, then they claim that it's just a matter of teaching history and that's not it either. So Kennedy does a good job of explaining what it is, why it's bad. And of course, he does it in a very memorable way. Here's what he said.
1: Critical race theory also teaches that... Um uh, uh, non-black Americans are racist, that they they don't much like black people, whether those non-black Americans realize it or not. That's why critical race theory also teaches that white children are born bad. It teaches that black children are born trapped. There's almost no hope for them. It's a very fatalistic point of view. In my judgment, critical race theory is cynical, ahistorical, uh, sophomoric, insipid, and dumb as a bag of hair. Um, America is not a racist country. We have racists in it, just like everywhere else. But most Americans, black and white, think a whole lot more about character than they do about race. They believe in equality, And most Americans understand that uh, to a bear, we all taste like chicken.
0: And that was on the uh, Fox News channel where Senator Kennedy was speaking there. So, Jim, dumb as a bag of hair and uh, people of all races still taste like chicken to bears uh, is something that uh, is going to stick with you for a little bit of of time. But uh, he's right that critical race theory is about dividing us by group, which is always what totalitarians uh, want to do. It makes minorities feel like they're trapped, and makes uh, makes everybody else feel like a villain. So, hopefully, he got the point across, and people don't just remember the jokes.
2: Yeah, first of all, I mean, you know, Kennedy remains one of the most effective communicators in the GOP. Yes, it's kind of homespun, but I think it's it's clear, it's memorable, it's often funny, um, and just you know, everybody else in the party probably could take notes on this. But I it just it's also kind of fascinating how much uh, critical race theory. Ha- yeah, I want to say quite came out of nowhere, because this has kind of been this burgeoning brush fire of an issue over the last couple of months. It's kind of, you know, not, it wasn't that long ago, uh, most conservatives were really eager to get kids back into schools and they were fighting folks on the left who were trying to keep them out. And now, of course, now it's, I tongue in cheek say it's reversed, but uh, you know, there's, you know, conservatives are understandably and justifiably up in arms about this. And you generally see folks on the left really angrily insisting, no, 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 either, as you said, either it doesn't exist or no, no, all we want to do is teach kids about slavery. Well, slavery has always been part of the curriculum. This, if you, you wouldn't need to make any changes if that's all this was. Oh, so we're going to teach kids about racism and the civil rights movement. No, no, that's always been in there. Clearly, you want to change something. Now, what is it you actually want to get into? And the reason, you know, to to buy into the left's idea uh, of critical race theory that this is a completely mundane and normal and entirely understandable. Uh, addition to the U.S. curriculum, you would basically have to believe that vast swaths of American parents are crazy. They don't know what's best for their kids. And in fact, they generally hate American history and they don't want kids to be known this. And I've been kind of baffled to see uh, some of my traditional allies on this really get into some painful euphemisms as they describe this, um, including a couple, uh, without naming names, we'll just say someone recently wrote, well, just teach it all good and bad. I'm sorry, that is an absolute punt on this issue Um, because, you know, the idea that uh, this is simply, oh, you know, we just want to teach about slavery or something like that. And all these GOP passed laws would ban the teaching of slavery. No, no, that's not it. Um, You know, the argument is to conservatives, you cannot ignore the bad parts of American history. Now, those of us who, who went like my, you know. I'm in my mid-40s. It's not like it was unbelievably long ago that I was in school. And I remember getting plenty of coverage of slavery. I remember getting plenty of coverage of the civil rights movement. I don't think the ugly aspects of American history were really nearly as airbrushed as folks on the left want to believe, but maybe I had an unusual schooling experience. Fine. I would also kind of point out, I don't see the same counter-argument to the folks on the left who are beating the drums for uh, critical race theory saying, well, we need to talk about the accomplishments of American history. We need to accomplish about the triumphs, the areas where America did b- live up to its ideals. They're not interested in any of that part. They, they, they would completely airbrush that stuff out, squeeze it all out, everything behind the 1619 Project. So uh, deeply frustrating, but kudos to Kennedy for putting it so succinctly. And I think it's a good sign Look, this was always going to be a challenging sell to the left. The fact they're attempting to do this right after Americans just got the schools back reopened. And As I lay out in the morning jolt, I kind of expanded on our discussion yesterday about uh, the NEA, by the way, voted down that resolution saying that every child should be vaccinated before they can have face-to-face schooling, uh, thankfully. There's that. But you're already hearing comments from administrators, public health officials saying, well, maybe we can't reopen the schools in fall because we're so worried about the Delta variant. Um, we're going to have that fight again this fall. So I think it's going to be interesting. You'll see people arguing about whether kids should be in back in school at all. This is a really bad time for the teachers unions to be picking this fight with the public at large. They are not awash in political capital at this exact moment.
0: No, they're not. And it's also a fraud that they present themselves as the heirs of the civil rights movement. There's a huge difference between what we saw in the 50s and 60s and, and what we're seeing now, because just like uh, every other major civil rights movement uh, since the founding, whether it's the, the right of women to vote and so forth, the uh, up until very recently, the push was... Look, the founders were right, they just didn't live up to it. They didn't uh, uh, treat people of all races the same. And then it gave women the right to vote. So they were right in about all men created equal and life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness and and, and all these things. And so we agree with the premise of this country. And so we have to live up to that. Now you have this group saying, no, 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 no. These people are fatally flawed. Don't pay attention to what they said. We got to rip it out, root and branch. And that is a massive and troubling difference. Let's talk about something we can all agree on, and that's saving money. And when it comes to auto insurance or a homeowners insurance, there's no better place to figure out where you can save money and how much you can save than Gabby. Look, there are hundreds of companies out there claiming to compare auto and home insurance rates, but there's only one who actually does it. So get a better insurance with Gabby, and I know it because I've done it.
2: Gabby is the one true comparison platform with fast, verifiable quotes, not ballpark guesses. You use your current policy to find a better policy, comparing your current coverage with 40 of the top insurance providers. And we're talking about companies like Progressive and Nationwide and Travelers, and they're all in one place. You just use your current insurance information to get started. It is free, and they only show policies that are the same or better than your current coverage, and many of them are likely to be at a lower price. Gabby customers save $961 per year on average, and they will never sell your information. So you'll never have to deal with annoying spam or
0: robocalls. I bet you could think of something better to do with $961 than to spend it unnecessarily on insurance. And, and I'll tell you, it's a very simple process. Sometimes these places offer you the moon and promise uh, that it's going to be the simplest process. It really is at Gabby. They ask you a bunch of different things, but it's all stuff you already know. You link to your current insurance policy and you see how much you can save uh, for the very same coverage. And so I did that. Fortunately, we were able to uh, keep the coverage that we had. But uh, if you were listening last week, you know that Chad Benson, for example, saved a lot of money uh, when he was talking about Gabby. And so uh, I, I would guess that that will be your experience as well. So put your policy to the test like we did. Get a better insurance with Gabby. It's totally free to check and there's no obligation. So go to Gabby.com martini. That's G-A-B-I.com martini. Gabby.com martini. All right, Jim, we know that the U.S. is leaving Afghanistan. Uh, It's already underway. Uh, But by 9-11, the entire U.S. presence will be out of Afghanistan. But uh, how it's being done is a tad bizarre. This is the AP from yesterday. The U.S. left Afghanistan's Bagram Airfield after nearly 20 years by shutting off the electricity and slipping away in the night without notifying the base's new Afghan commander who discovered the Americans' departure more than two hours after they left, Afghan military officials said. The U.S. announced Friday that it had completely vacated its biggest airfield in the country in advance of a final withdrawal. The Pentagon says will be completed by the end of August. Uh, but uh, the uh, new commander there says, We had heard some rumor that the Americans left Bagram, and finally by 7 o'clock in the morning, we understood that it was confirmed they had already left Bagram. So... Jim, the Pentagon is saying that this was done for security reasons and obviously you don't want to issue press releases or, uh, you know, uh, tout it uh, very much publicly exactly when you're pulling out. Although we've been very open about being out entirely within the next few weeks here. Uh, So not even telling the Afghans who are supposed to be our allies seems pretty weird. Greg, wouldn't you expect a a handover ceremony? And, and, you know, if, if, if if I
2: were the Afghans. In fact, if I were the United States, I would want to have the biggest, showiest, most formal ceremony with all of the Afghan troops lined up, fully armed, all of their gear, all of this. I would want to send the signal like, hey, we're leaving, but we're leaving this in the most capable hands you can get. And the Afghans are ready. I want the planes all lined up. I'd want them all gleaming. I would want this to look like the most impenetrable place just to say to the Taliban, don't even try it. Don't even bother. These guys are ready for you. And we, you know, you are not going to take over this country without a fight. Um, Greg, it sounds like we pulled an Irish goodbye for, for the running of the largest air base in Afghanistan. For those who are not familiar with that expression, it's when you leave a party without saying goodbye to your host, and I don't know why the Irish are considered that, I do. I don't know if it's because, like you know, we're we're such sentimental folk that we hate saying goodbye, so we just slip away when no one's looking, or remember, we just get too too plastered to to remember who the host is, and we just you know wander out. But anyway, you you this is not inspiring any sense of confidence. There was another group of provinces that basically have fallen to the Taliban. And apparently, it sounds like they're falling without much of a fight. So, it sounds like in a very short period of time, the Afghan government, we don't know for certain that it's going to fall right after we leave, but I think the latest intelligence review said it could happen as soon as six months after the US forces leave. Um, now, but the point is, l- a little while ago, the Pentagon said, well, actually, we're going to keep 650 guys there, uh, I guess, around our embassy and all that kind of stuff. And the thing we'd really love to avoid is having some sort of scene that resembles that last helicopter out of Saigon, taking off off the roof of the embassy there. This infamous symbol of American retreat, of American defeat, this sense that, um, was it China or somebody else had said that America had become a paper tiger. The idea that we were uh, no longer really an effective military force on the world stage. Um, It is deeply depressing to see how quickly things are changing in Afghanistan. And if it changed with a chastened Taliban in charge, that was like, okay, we're back in charge. We're not gonna work with Al-Qaeda anymore. We're not gonna work with any international terrorists anymore, fine. But there's no indication that they're doing that. At least they'll, they'll say that they'll do that but all the intelligence on the ground says they're as close to Al-Qaeda and the remainder of ISIS and all the other Islamist terrorist groups as they ever were. This is the same old Taliban. They're still blowing up kids. They're still throwing uh, uh, you know acid in the faces of schoolgirls. These are the same bastards they've always been. Except now we've decided, okay, you guys can have the country. We're just going to hope for the best. And even if you're tired of 20 years of the U.S. having a presence in Afghanistan, an entirely reasonable and well-supported position, the notion that we could be right back to where we were on September 10th, 2001, is a
0: deeply depressing prospect that is becoming more and more realistic with each passing week. All right, let's talk about something far better than that, and that's the uh, good night's rest that you can get uh, with your My Pillow products and. My Pillow, though, is more than just a fantastic pillow. Now My Pillow is giving the same attention that they've given their pillows to the Giza Dream Sheets, and uh, I've had the chance to sleep on these. Slept on them last night. In fact, I said yesterday, I hoped I'd feel better today, and I do. Still recovering, but uh, feeling much, much better. So, uh, if you want the very best product for your bed and to help you get the best night's sleep, get those Giza Dream Sheets from My Pillow.
2: Giza Dream Sheets are made from the world's best cotton, which is grown only in a region between the Sahara Desert, the Mediterranean Sea, and the Nile River. It's long staple cotton makes it ultra soft and breathable. The sheets are available in a variety of colors and sizes. They are machine washable and they come with a 60 day money back guarantee
0: and a one year limited warranty. So visit MyPillow.com and use the promo code Martini at checkout or call 800-874-0104 for two sets of Giza Dream sheets for one low price plus free shipping. Again, that's two sets of Giza Dreams sheets for one low price plus free shipping with the promo code Martini at MyPillow.com or when you call 800-874-0104. Sleep better with MyPillow.com or call 800-874-0104. All right, Jim, on to the crazy martini now, and a few folks have fit this category better in recent months than the folks over at the Lincoln Project, you know, the true conservatives that not only worked to uh, defeat Donald Trump in 2016 unsuccessfully, and 2020, uh, and their actual impact on that race is very much up in the air, but of course, uh, in the meantime, in the last few months, they've uh, uh, dealt with the... uh, John Weaver situation as he preyed on young men some of them under age and recently we got a fabulous report from the Lincoln Project itself absolving the Lincoln Project of doing anything wrong in that whole situation but now uh this is less tawdry but it just shows where the Lincoln Project really is because i think the point where most people who are on the right gave up on the Lincoln Project as being anything in good faith was when they uh, in 2018 advised everyone to vote for Democratic congressional candidates as a way to chasten Trump. Now, Joe Trippy, the veteran Democratic strategist, is joining the Lincoln Project as a senior advisor. And uh, he, of course, is best known for running Howard Dean's 2004 presidential campaign, which got off to a great start before anybody actually voted. And then he came in, I think, maybe Third in Iowa, did the Dean scream and everything pretty much unraveled after that, but he's been around a long, long time. Uh, uh, nice guy. Don't associate him entirely with Howard Dean. Lincoln Project co-founder Reed Galen says, whether you're a Democrat, Republican, or independent political strategist, you know and have studied the work of Joe Trippi. Joe's legendary status in the political space and unparalleled experience innovating, indeed changing the face of modern politics, makes him an invaluable resource for our work here at the Lincoln Project. So, Jim... In addition to the scandalous aspects of the lincoln project they're obviously democrats at this point because that's where the money's coming from why don't they just admit it i would argue greg that by hiring joe trippy they are
2: (laughs) this is no longer you know it doesn't really help with the brand image of we're the rogue republicans we're the principled conservatives who are so upset with the way, the direction the Republican party is going in, we've decided to effectively declare war on it and do everything we can to help democratic candidates. And you may recall, in addition to everything else, the condition you're like, so what, what made a, pro, a Project Lincoln ad different from all the other standard democratic groups out there? Well, one of the things to point out is that they were um, particularly like, I not wanna say pugnacious, i want to say like particularly personal towards the president. And they generally ran on DC cable Uh, They weren't running in swing states. They weren't running in Ohio or Georgia or Arizona or Florida or uh, the upper Midwest, Wisconsin, Michigan. They ran in DC. Now, obviously, you know, DC is not really a swing state, but they knew it would be more likely to be seen on CNN or on Fox News by the president of the United States and the president of the United States. But, you know, Donald Trump, it did not take much to anger Donald Trump. And he would immediately get out his phone and start tweeting furiously about it and denouncing the ad. And lo and behold, after the president tweeted about it, the Lincoln Project could say, see, look how bad ma- we made Donald Trump. And of course, more people would donate to the Lincoln Project. The Lincoln Project was not really in the business of swing votes. It was in the, they're in the business of two things. One, collecting donations and paying for the condo. And I think it was bail Colorado. The <laughs> had. It was one of those. Um, that's job one. But job two was, well, how can we anger Donald Trump today? and in exchange, get more, get more free publicity. Because as soon as Trump tweeted about it, well, then every, instant, you know, the New York Times and CNN, everybody would start doing news stories. The president responded to an ad from Lincoln. You know. So it was this, uh, you almost have to like salute the ingenuity of the grift that they had so effectively figured out what makes liberals give donations. Well, the more you can show that you make Donald Trump angry, the more liberals will donate to you, regardless of whether you do any good in terms of electing Democrats to office or electing any candidates of any party to office. So I, I decided to look it up. So I, you know, the age of Steve Schmidt, who, you know, you may recall from doing the, the, the John McCain campaign back in 2008, he was a, he was a pretty up there. He's 50, okay? Rick Wilson is 57. Um, you know, most of the guys who are in the Lincoln Project they're up there in years. They're on the tail end of their career. I don't think that's any good. You know, a, a, a mean thing to say. They've been in the business for a long time. Now they're trying to look on. You know, how do they want to fund that retirement and/or create generational wealth? And this has turned out to be the way to do it. And, you know, Greg, I can't help but notice Joe Trippi is 65 years old. That used to be the retirement age. And, you know, now, obviously, political consulting, it's not a physically exhausting job. You presumably could continue to do it well into your 60s or 70s. But in a way, it's kind of you know, the Lincoln Project, by now stretching across the, the, the partisan boundary and hiring a prominent, long in the tooth Democratic strategist, is basically, it's become kind of almost a, a pension fund four longtime presidential campaign political strategists who don't have a lot of wins under their belt. That's also, (laughs) that's another observation about all these guys. That if they won, they had won a long, long time ago. Certainly hadn't been advising Republicans in the Trump era and a bunch of these cases haven't really been advising a lot of Republicans in you know the year a couple of years before Trump was on the scene, so um, in a way I almost salute uh, Joe Trippy joining them. It's kind of it's, it's almost a truth in advertising. They aren't a Republican group. They're not a conservative group, and they really shouldn't pretend to be anymore. I, I don't even think that uh, it matters that much to the liberal donors who are financing them. So, uh, Greg, you know what my, my reaction is when I see that they're kind of formalizing their uh, affiliation with the Democratic Party by bringing on Joe Trippy. You know how you know how I react to that, Greg? How? Yeah!
0: (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. You know, the Lincoln Project, I think they abandoned it for obvious reasons, but uh, not that long ago, they briefly launched what they called the Franklin Project, which was designed to restore civility to politics. When you think of Rick Wilson and Steve Schmidt... Does anything close to civility come to mind uh, as as adjectives to describe either of them, which probably explains why it didn't go anywhere, but uh, uh, it just kind of shows the level of delusion and the ambition of the grift uh, knows no ends. You know, one of the reviewers of Rick Wilson's book made the
2: observation that like one chapter would be about Donald Trump as this uh, classless, low rent uh, guy who has coarsened American politics, who has... No interest in policy. He has no interest in ideas or philosophy. He's just this tawdry, you know. And then the next chapter would be these mouth-breathing, ignorant redneck hicks who voted for him. And you know, Rick Wilson embodied all of the traits in Trump that he had denounced so furiously. Um, and I, you know, I don't know whether that's completely unconscious, whether he's like completely cannot see that he is embodying everything that he claims to be denouncing, or whether he realizes it. He realizes that an element of Trump's appeal. Is the coarseness? Is the uh, bluntness? Is the willingness to get down and dirty and call people names? Look, there are some people who are repelled by that, but there's another chunk of the demo- of, of the electorate that loves it. That's like, oh, you you tell them, you you give them to. Them. Finally, somebody's telling it like it is and that stuff. And Rick Wilson and a bunch of the other Lincoln Project guys do the exact same thing. But for a democratic audience, and because it's on MSNBC, they're consi- they think of themselves
0: as the good guys. The only person who's really given too much grief about that, ironically, was Stephen Colbert, I believe. <laughs> oh, that was fun! Yeah, that was the animated interview. We had a lot of fun with that, Martini. So, Jim, uh, the obvious becomes more obvious, I guess. So uh, we'll see what uh, we'll see what the news throws at us tomorrow. See you then. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, Please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast if you don't already. Also, tell your friends about us. We're extraordinarily grateful for your five-star ratings and your very kind reviews. Please keep those coming. Also, you can get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Tuesday, and please join us Wednesday for the next Three Martini Lunch.
1: The border crisis is getting worse and so is big tech censorship. Hi, this is Sarah Carter. On The Sarah Carter Show, I explain the problems that are happening at our southern border that are a direct result of Biden administration policies. And I'm staying on top of the left in big tech, trying to stifle the freedom of speech for conservatives and anyone who dares to challenge their narrative. Join me as we take on these massive challenges that impact all of us. Subscribe to The Sarah Carter Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.